In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, Amen. Well, Happy Easter! That may sound like a weird greeting, and perhaps a week late, but technically we are still celebrating Easter Day. In the history of the church, Easter Day is actually an eight-day celebration. We know how to party. And it's called Easter Octave. We are also in the 50 days now between Easter and Pentecost called Eastertide. And it's a time when we are invited to rediscover and remember what it means to be called an Easter people. What does that mean? I think at least part of it means what you heard from this pulpit last week. Love wins. Always. Period. No exceptions. Love wins. To be Easter people also means that we look to the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection to find strength and courage and hope for our own lives. So over the course of the next few weeks, I want to try to rediscover and remember some of that with you. Who are we as Easter people? And what are we called to do and be if we accept that as a moniker for our lives? This story in the Gospel of John that we just heard of Jesus' appearance to his petrified disciples, first without and then with Thomas a week later, is always read in our tradition on the Sunday after Easter. It is often referred to as the story of doubting Thomas, and we now use that phrase to describe someone of little faith or someone who is skeptical. They are being a doubting Thomas. And for the most part, that label feels really pejorative to me. It's negative, right? It's a connotation pointing out someone's lack of faith or confidence in someone else or in a particular situation. But I think we may have missed something important in this story. If this is how we hear Thomas's need to see Jesus for himself. We hear at the beginning of the story that the disciples are gathered in a house with the door locked for fear of the Jewish authorities. It is evening, and even though they have heard reports of the empty tomb, and some have even seen the empty tomb, the disciples must be feeling pretty skeptical at this point. These disciples had risked everything they knew to follow and believe in this man and his message. They had traveled with him, they ate with him, they laughed and cried with him, and gradually they learned to trust him. Then they watched as he was arrested and tortured, humiliated, crucified, and buried in a tomb. What a shock to their systems this must have been on that night, and how confused and sad they must have felt. And now here they were being asked to believe the unthinkable, to somehow trust what could not have seemed real. They were being asked to trust in a completely new experience of Jesus, now the risen Christ. What did it take to trade in their sense of loss, and betrayal, for a new acceptance, a completely new paradigm shift, 
a new believing, a new way of following their Messiah. Each of them must have somehow found a way, consciously or unconsciously, to rewrite the story, the narrative, their fundamental way of believing and perceiving reality. They were in the midst of grieving, grieving the most significant loss in their lives. Jesus was gone. Jesus was dead. They had been abandoned and were now lost in their own fear. They had to have readjusted their frame of reference in such a significant way that the old story could die, and in its place, a new story could be written. And this is the moment I'm interested in today, the moment when we are courageous enough to let an old story we have told ourselves die in order for a new, more life-giving story to take place in our hearts. That is one way we are called to being Easter people. Brene Brown, who many of us have now read and talked about over the past year, is a social scientist and a prolific author and a faithful Episcopalian. She teaches important lessons about courage and vulnerability and shame and worthiness that have profound connections to the work of being Easter people. She writes, in the absence of data, we will always make up stories. It's how we are wired. In fact, the need to make up a story, especially when we are hurt, is part of our most primal survival wiring. Meaning-making is in our biology, and it's our default. And often we come up with a story that makes sense and feels familiar and offers insight into how best to self-protect, even when it is not true. All of Brown's work points towards and encourages us to find ways to live what she calls a wholehearted life. And isn't that what our disciples must have yearned for as well in that locked house? And yet, here they were, lost and frightened, following the death of their Messiah, the one who they had believed was sent to liberate and lead them to new life, the one who promised to be with them to the end of all time. Here they are feeling not only abandoned, I'm sure, but most likely afraid for their own safety. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus, without a door being opened, appears among them inside this locked house and says, peace. So then how audacious it must have been when Thomas, who wasn't even at that meeting, tells them that he not only doesn't believe them, but he won't believe them unless he sees and touches Jesus for himself. I really get that, don't you? How many times have we heard someone else's profession of faith and thought to ourselves, I have no idea what that person is talking about, let alone a willingness to believe what they are saying? I need to have my own experience in order to believe and to understand. So for me, Thomas becomes a kind of biblical superhero. He's showing us and doing what others maybe only think about but don't have the courage to do or say. And who knew that speaking your truth could be a superpower? Thomas shows up fully 
and he asks for what he needs, probably risking quite a bit. It's often so much easier to just go along with the pack. Thomas never does. He is the one who seems to be asking what the other disciples must also have been thinking. He puts himself out there. What will the other disciples think of him for asking so much? But it is through his willingness to ask for what he needs that allows him to move forward and I believe results in the affirmation of his faith. He isn't locked in fear creating a story of lack and limit like the other disciples. His questioning of the resurrection actually is his pathway to faith. So all of this has me wondering, what questions do we have? Are there questions that are keeping us paralyzed in some part of our life or our faith journey? How much is either our certainty or our uncertainty about faith or God or religion keeping us maybe stuck or locked in fear and doubt? And what would happen if we could channel just a little bit of my hero Thomas and ask our deepest questions? You see, I believe that none of us are that different from Thomas. I think that he offers us a gift today by reminding us what can happen when we ask for what we need. We have a very big God, and I don't think any question is too big. We can do the same and maybe even have our stories transformed in the process. So here's what I would like us to do. I want to invite all of us to think about some questions that we have about our faith, big or small, doesn't matter. And then in a minute, when I'm finished here, I'm going to go over to that piano and I'm going to share a song that I think is a great addition to Thomas's message today. And during that time while I'm singing that song, I invite you to take out the little piece of paper in your bulletin. And if you are so inclined, to write down one of your questions. If you want, you could even put your name and your contact information and I will buy coffee and have a conversation with you. You may want to write that question down and just take it home with you. Put it in your wallet or your purse. Maybe stick it on your mirror at home or your refrigerator and just live in that question for a while. I have a basket up front, and at the time of communion, if you want to share that question, either anonymously or not, I am interested in what all our questions are, and I invite you to drop it in, in the basket. I want us to remember to show up fully and to have courage to ask about our doubts and our fears. I want us to learn to be vulnerable enough to ask deep questions. And may we be courageous in our willingness to let some old stories just die so that new stories can change our lives, challenging us to die to self and to be reborn in the name of the risen Christ. Because in the end, isn't that an important first step to maybe what it means to be an Easter people? Alleluia, alleluia. May it be so.